Welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we are convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Hey, we are glad that you're with us today and it's sunny and you still came, which, you know, that's, that's kind of a class B miracle in Portland. Um, couple things. One, the Civic Forum is this Thursday, and it's sold out, so if you have a ticket, make sure you come. And we'd ask that you please pray, because this is a significant gathering among faith leaders and city leaders to talk about how we work together to love the most vulnerable in our city. And so we're praying that God would do something new in that space. Today, we, as we continue to talk about and look at the sacrifice of Christ, we have a privilege. Um, uh, Well over a year ago, uh, a group of women and some pastors and elders began to pray about who God would bring us to help pastor our community. And through that time, we honestly are convicted and believe that God sent us someone. And you have heard her preach before but you have never heard her preach as one of your pastors. So give an Imago Day welcome for the first time to Pastor Michelle Jones. (laughs) I didn't give this fan, I'm sorry. (laughs) Good morning, Imago. Okay, that was good, but we can do better. Good morning, Imago. Yes, I heard something over here that was just really great. I'm so happy to be here. I'm happy and grateful, and I have been praying that God would be honored by our relationship with one another. I've been so welcomed here, and so I thank you and I appreciate you for that. We're gonna jump right into this. As Rick said, we are moving through Lent, and we have been looking at what Jesus taught and uh, thought and said about himself as it relates to the cross and his destiny concerning it. So today we're gonna actually focus specifically on a common image, most of us are familiar with Jesus as shepherd, but we're gonna look at that image as it relates to the cross and what it means not just for Jesus, but for for those who call him Lord and for those who might desire to and aren't quite sure what a commitment to the shepherd actually looks like. So home base for today is going to be John 10, one through 21, and we're going to read it. It's a long way to go and we're going to read it right now. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. 
When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees didn't quite understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This passage is a challenging and a comforting passage for me. It's comforting because it has all of those wonderful ooey gooey sheep and shepherd images, right? It's all soft and fluffy and we love it. But it's also challenging to me, not just as a shepherd, but it's also challenging to me in my life as a sheep, as one of his flock, as one that is called to be the sheep of his pasture. And it challenges me because of the implications that are presented in this. But before we unpack this, we need a little background. This passage is in the book of John, and John is one of the simpler books of the Bible. It's not easy all the time, but it's pretty simple. And by that I mean, basically John is this, that light comes into the world, darkness didn't understand it, and darkness could not overcome it. This is the basic theme of John. What we find is that he says this at the beginning. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and he was the light of the world and that light was the light of men and he came unto his own and his own received him not and the light came into the world and the darkness didn't comprehend it. And then he goes through the majority of the chapters in the Bible and we find Jesus being light. He is loving on people, he is caring for people, he is showing people the way, he is dealing with a woman at the well, he's talking to people, he's feeding 5,000, he's showing up, he's binding the sick, he's, he's, healing the, he's healing the lame, he's doing all kinds of stuff, he is light. And at every step of the way, he's getting kind of jammed up by disciples, by the Pharisees, by people who aren't certain. And at the end of the day, what we find is this constant repetition of light showing up, 
darkness not understanding it, darkness unable to deal with it. You've got Nicodemus coming to him at night, Jesus trying to explain to him, give him light, and him not understanding it. And this brings us up to John 9. John 9 is where you've got this guy who is blind, literally and metaphorically. You see this man who is blind and Jesus takes some spit, puts it in the ground, makes some mud, puts it on the guy's eyes, boom, guy can see. And the Pharisees' heads explode. They freak out because they've been running around telling people this guy's a demon, this guy is not one of us, this guy is possessed, this guy is a sinner, he's all of this, and so now you've got this guy who can see. And this is a man who's been blind since birth. So this is something that has never been done. No one's ever seen it. This is something that is amazing. And so now the Pharisees are doing damage control to their own image. They're running around talking to people. He's a, he's a demon. He's a sinner. He's that. They go to the guy. The guy's like, look, I don't know anything. All I know is I was blind and now I can see. They go to his parents, so what happened? He wasn't really blind from his birth, was he? Really? And his parents are like, no, 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 that's our kid, blind from birth, just saying. They go, so, what happened? We don't know, ask him, he's grown, he can tell you. And they don't say, and they, they, they literally say that, he's a grown man, he can talk to you. And the reason they say this is because they're afraid of what the Pharisees are gonna do. So now the Pharisees come to the guy again, and they're saying, tell us that this guy is a sinner, that he's a demon, that he's, he's possessed, and our father is Moses, and this guy, we don't know where he came from. So the blind guy says, look, you don't know who he is, and yet, I can see. I'm not saying anything, I'm just saying. <laughs> so they get upset with him, and they kick him out of the synagogue. They kick the man out. So it is against this backdrop that we come to John 10. John 10 is Jesus having a conversation with the Pharisees as it relates to what they've just done in kicking this guy out of the synagogue. So now what he's doing when he gives them this parable of the shepherd is he's accomplishing two things. Number one, he's challenging the Pharisees' view of themselves as leaders, also called the shepherds of Israel. And he is exposing them as pretenders, as not real leaders, as uh, wolves, as thieves, as robbers, and in some cases as just plain old hirelings. And then he is also, by calling him himself, not just a shepherd, but the good shepherd, that he is gathering one flock under one shepherd, he's declaring himself to be the Davidic shepherd that is prophesied in the book of Ezekiel 34, where God says, look, I'm gonna take care of my own flock because the shepherds of Israel have not been doing their jobs. I'm going to send my shepherd to take care of my flock. And then he is also prophesied in the books of Jeremiah and Isaiah and Zechariah. And so he is basically telling them and building upon this image that he's already talked about of him being the Messiah. Now, for the people listening who are not Pharisees, and by extension for us, he's extending an invitation. 
He's extending an invitation to us for a life that is fuller than the one that we have now, one that meets us where we are in our hunger and feeds us, one that meets us in our sickness and in our infirmities and heals us, one that we could never create or make on our own, but one that is provided for us by the shepherd. And so as our shepherd, he's offering this life that doesn't magically appear, he's offering us this life that we have a responsibility to participate with him in. It's a divine invitation, but it has the requirement of human responsibility. And after all, Jesus is the shepherd, and so we're responsible for being his sheep. So I want us to consider within ourselves what that means for us as individuals, what it means for us corporately if we, like those people, are given the opportunity and the chance to believe him. So John 10 breaks down kind of nicely, our passage breaks down kind of nicely into four parts, and we're going to look at each part and what each part does. Three of the four parts take Jesus and compare him as the good shepherd to a false shepherd to somebody who pretends to be a shepherd, but you can tell that they are pretend shepherds because of how they relate to the sheep. So you have Jesus as the good shepherd, as the real shepherd, then you have this image of a false shepherd or pretender, and then the way they relate to the sheep is how he's able to tell the difference and how he presents to the people. This is how you tell the difference between what's real and what's not real. So the first section is John 10, one through five, and let's take a look at that. He says, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own out, he goes ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Now you have to understand the picture here. It's not just some shepherd going into his flock and, and calling people by name. This is, this is a picture of, of like sheep daycare, right? When you went into town, all of the flocks were in the same place. All the sheep got put in the exact same pen, then they belonged to a bunch of different shepherds and they were all in this, in this pen. Like I said, kind of like daycare, you just like put your kids there and then you go. You do whatever business you have to do and you take care of your business, then you come back. Well, when the shepherd came back, then the person at the door, the gatekeeper, he lets him in and then the sheep perk up because they hear somebody come in and the person comes in and he begins to give a whistle or a call or something very distinctive and then if that's your shepherd, the sheep just kind of looks around and goes, you know, hey, had a great time, that's my shepherd, gotta go, and then they come running to the door. So each sheep, sheep have an uncanny ability to understand and discern the specific voice of their shepherd. So this is what he's, what he's presenting is this picture of first, he's not only calling them, but he's specifically calling them by name. Okay, Fred, okay, Janet, okay, Luke, okay, whoever, just come on out, come on out, Akbar, Muhammad, come on out. So all the sheep come out, and once he gets them out, once he has brought them out, he then leads them by his voice. 
a thief and a robber would actually have to take the sheep and then drive them because if they don't, the sheep will actually get scared and freaked out because they don't recognize the voice, so they don't actually follow. They have to be driven. So a thief and a robber has to actually take a sheep or take a lamb by force. Now, when Jesus says that he brings out his own first, he is using very deliberate language because what happened in John 9, when they put the guy out of the synagogue, when they put the guy who was formerly blind, that same phrase is the phrase that Jesus uses. You put him out because you're not a real shepherd. A real shepherd brings somebody out, brings them out, calls them out from this group as his own, as, as someone belonging to him. So what he says to the shepherds is, you guys aren't real because you didn't do that with this guy. You put him out because he said Jesus was Jesus. And what happens is the Pharisees didn't actually have anybody following them. They were just scaring people into not unfollowing them. But they weren't really being followed. They were screaming and yelling and nobody was behind them so they were pretty much just taking a walk, right? Because they had nobody following them. But Jesus on the other hand had been by permission of his father, entering, and he had people following him because they could hear his voice. Now the picture that he presents is the picture of Judaism, and what this was is Jesus was saying, look, all the Jews are not my sheep, but one by one and by name, I'm calling each of them out. And they're going to come out, and they're my sheep because they hear my voice, and they will be led out, and, I, and, and they will follow me. There's an interesting story about, um, about some sheep during World War I. They were being cared for in Israel and some Turkish soldiers came to steal the sheep. They came, they had guns and they took the sheep. So the shepherds were looking pretty helpless because they were thinking, well, what are we gonna do? Because we don't have guns, we can't take them back by force. They took these sheep and it occurred to the shepherd, wait a second, I was gonna call them. So they're driving all these sheep away and the shepherd just called them and they all were like, hey, you with the gun, gotta go, that's my shepherd calling, I gotta go. And all the sheep just turned right around and went back to their shepherd because that's what sheep do. Now that image and this image in scripture challenges me and it challenges me because I always think that if God were calling me by name, if he were, if he were looking at me and saying, okay, uh, you, Hardhead sheep, that would be my name, hardhead sheep. Or he might say, I'm gonna call you Frank Sinatra because you're always trying to do it your way. You know, or he'd call me uncertain sheep or he'd call me deaf sheep because I'd be so busy nibbling somewhere that I just wouldn't hear him and he'd have to call me three or four or five times. And then I think to myself, he'd get so over me because he'd just say, look, I got so many other sheep, that one's just gonna have to stay. And he would just like make me stay wherever it is I was and he would go. And so because I'm such a bad follower at times, um, I'd have to ask myself, what guarantee do I have that he's not just gonna be over me? Well, fortunately for me, the Pharisees didn't understand that first example. And so Jesus, because he's merciful and because love is at first patient and then kind, he decided, all right, let's look at this from another angle. So he has another image that he presents to them. And it is in verses seven to 10. We see the same story from a different angle. 
He says, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Okay, now this is not the picture of sheep daycare. This is still a shepherd, but it's not like sheep daycare. This time it's like summer sheep. This is the summer house sheep. They're all out in the field because in the summertime they would take the sheep up to a place and they'd let them graze out in the open. But what they did in the evening is that they would take these, these sheep pens that they either made by stacking rocks up and they'd stack the rocks up all around and then put thorns up at the top so that wild animals couldn't get to them and there was one way in and one way out. Sometimes they would use a cave and there was one way in and one way out and the shepherd would literally be the door. He would lay down in front of this, this opening and that's where he slept every night. He'd put the sheep in there and he would sleep in front of this opening so that the sheep were protected in case a wolf came and somebody tried to come in and get, they'd have to go through the shepherd in order to get to the sheep. So he was literally and figuratively the door or the gate to get to the sheep. Now, most people think about this in terms of just protecting the sheep and that is an accurate However, an incomplete picture of what Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is saying here is absolutely, I protect the sheep, they're back in there, nobody can get to them. But notice what he says, he says, I am the gate and they come out and go in and find pasture. That phrase find pasture is very much like Psalm 23, where the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. And he makes me to lie down in green pasture and he leads me beside the still waters. It's the, the picture of the life of a sheep who has a good shepherd. And in our case, it's the, it's the Lord who is our shepherd and he leads me beside the still water and he, he literally plucks up the poison grass before I get there so that when I get there, my table is prepared before me so that I can then eat and I can consume without worry and without care. And that's what a good shepherd does. And that's what he means when he says to find pasture. Now, when he talks about they, they come out and they go in, this actually speaks to the freedom that we enjoy when we belong to the shepherd. The freedom that we have as believers, the freedom that we have when the Lord is our shepherd to go out and come in. His expectation is not that we would not be associated with or engaged with the world, but rather that we could go out and come in not in order to find a shepherd, but because we have a shepherd. If you have a man and a wife who are married, you should know that they're married even when she's out and he's not with her, or he's out and he's not with her. You should still kind of know that that person is married. They're not like out at the club, just like, you know, what's up, girl? That is not, you know, that guy should not be married. So it's this idea of coming out and going in that is this freedom that comes from having a relationship with him. Now, coming out and going in is actually a military term and it's usually referred to how you lead people. As a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy 31.2, Moses is actually speaking to Israel before he turns things over to Joshua. And in the NIV, it's translated that he can no longer 
lead. He's saying to Israel, I can no longer lead you. But if you look at it in the King James, he says unto them, I am 120 years old to this day, and I can no more go out and come in. And so it's this, this term that talks about leading. But then we also see in the book of Numbers that Moses is praying to God for someone to lead Israel, and this is his prayer. He says, may the Lord God who gives breath to all living things appoint someone over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in so the Lord's people will not be like a sheep without a shepherd. So now in the first image, what we see is our relationship with the shepherd is in terms of our identity, our identity. He knows us by name, we know his voice. It's, it's, it's how we identify one another. But then he gets a little deeper in this image. And so now it's not so much identity as it is belonging, that we belong to him and the freedom that comes with belonging to him. So we've moved from just identity to this place of belonging. It's like the difference between being called a Christian and being called Christ's. It's the difference between saying you, you, or saying mine. So the shepherd says in the first example, you, 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 let's go. And we hear you, 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 let's go. But this is a picture of mine. And he says, when you belong to me, that you are to have life and have it more abundantly. Now, King James says, have life and have it more abundantly. NIV says, have it to the full. But more accurately, it is to say that you are going to have life that is more than the life you could have had. Life that is more than the life you do have. Life that is more than the life you could manufacture for yourself. Life that is more and better and exceedingly more and better than the life that you get following people who do not feel you belong to them the way you belong to the shepherd. So he contrasts this with the thief and the robber who he says the thief's job is to steal, kill, and destroy. And I love these three things because it seems like to kill and destroy are redundant, right? Steal is pretty self-explanatory. You just kind of go in, you sneak in, you take a thing that doesn't belong to you, and the enemy is really good at wanting to sneak in and take you away from the shepherd that you belong to. But then to kill and destroy seems redundant, doesn't it? But to kill literally means like to slaughter or to sacrifice, but the whole point of the killing is for my benefit. I want you gone. I want you dead. I want you expired. But how many of you know that the shepherd is one who can resurrect? So if I'm going to kill you, I can't just leave you dead because he's a God who resurrected a dead Jesus. And he's a Jesus who resurrected a dead Lazarus in the very next chapter, by the way. So I can't just kill you. I have to destroy you. And destroy is an interesting word because what it is is it's the picture that says, I need to render you utterly useless. I need to render you unusable. The enemy is not as concerned with 
killing you as he is rendering you useless. Because there have been times in my life, and I'm sure some of yours, where you have felt like everything that you had or understood is gone, it is dead. Your life, as you know it, is dead. But God resurrected that thing. I know for a fact that mine is a life that there were times when I thought, I remember praying and hearing the Holy Spirit tell me, people who are here without me kill themselves. I was that low. I was that gone. I was that wrecked. And yet, here I am. (laughs) Here I am. Because I got a God who knew that whatever my problem was, it was not bigger than a dead Jesus. Because if your problem is not bigger than a dead Jesus, God can handle that. Whatever you're going through right now, if it's not bigger than a dead Jesus, he can resurrect that thing. And the enemy cannot destroy what God has determined will not be destroyed if you belong to him and if he is your shepherd. So now when you go through that, you have, you, have, you have moved, like I said, from this place of simple identity to this place of belonging. And then we move even deeper than that. He goes deeper with this third image. So now he says in verses 11 through 13, he says, I am the good shepherd. Now he was the shepherd before and then now he's the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away because he's a hired hand who cares nothing for the sheep. Now here, the NIV fails us just a little bit again because the picture is clearer in the King James. Let's look at this piece of verse 12. He says, but he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, comma, whose own the sheep are not, will run when the wolf comes. Now, why is that significant? It's because of that word own. Because in the NIV, it makes it sound like he doesn't own the sheep, so he's not in possession of the sheep. So it harkens back to that whole idea of belonging, right? But this is actually a deeper word. It's actually the Greek word idios, which which means set aside and personal and private. It's kind of like my own personal stash. So that's how the shepherd sees us as his own personal set-aside stash that doesn't belong to anybody but him. That's what that word own means. It's the word from which we get the word idiosyncrasy. It's it's, we're we're his thing. We belong to him. It's, It's much sexier, isn't it? To think of yourself as, you know, that's my girl. That's my boy. Right back here. You can't have that because that's mine. And that's kind of Jesus's attitude about us. That's how he feels about us. So now we have moved. We've moved from mere identification through belonging. And now we're in this place where there's care. And that word care, where he says that the hireling doesn't care for the sheep. He's just thinking about making money. That word care is the same word used when the disciples were in the storm and they knocked on Jesus' door while he was asleep and they said, don't you care that we're perishing? It's this great concern that you have for somebody. It means that he is not just identifying you. He doesn't just possess you, but he cares for you. 
He adores you. He's concerned with you. He's saying, look, this is not just a job for me. I'm not just a hireling here. I care for you. I care about you. I'm not just living with you. I'm living for you. You matter to me. You matter a great deal to me, so much so that I lay my life down for you. And contrast the person who instead of making a sacrifice for you, would rather sacrifice you for their own gain, for their own good. There's a story in the UK about some shepherds who were caring for a flock of sheep and the under shepherds got hungry. So they left the sheep and went to go get something to eat. While they were eating, the actual shepherd was walking around and he left the sheep. And he was just taking a walk. Well, while he was taking this walk, he falls off the side of a cliff because these were mountain sheep and he falls off the side of a cliff. Well, he must have yelled because all the sheep went over the cliff. They all went over the cliff. 400 sheep died because 1,100 sheep landed on them. 1,500 sheep died going over a cliff after a shepherd. How many people in here are in a free fall because you've been following the wrong stuff, following the wrong leaders, because you were neglected by people who were charged with your care, and now you're broken and bruised and bloodied and landing on top of God knows what, because someone who may not have meant any harm at all was careless with your life. You watch over what you care for. You pay attention to what you care for. So Jesus has been building on this shepherd motif and it comes to a climax in verses 14 through 18, where he says, I'm the good shepherd, I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, I have, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, I must bring them also, they will also listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Now here he is restating everything that he's already stated, that ours, Relationship with the shepherd is one where we identify with him, one where we belong to him, one where he is devoted to us. But then he adds that there are other flocks, and by this he's talking about the Gentiles who would come to know him and who would hear his voice and who would follow him. But then he starts to, to bring his father into this, and he starts to say, you know, my father and I, we know each other, and I'm laying down my life at the father's command, and I can take it up again because my father has given me that authority and that power, and the father gave me this flock, and he says later that no one will pluck them from my hands because they belong to me, and then we see at the very end of this passage that people are struggling. They're not sure 
Some of them are saying he's crazy, he's a madman, and how are we going to listen to him? And then somebody else said, yeah, but remember that blind guy who can see? Who does that? How does God listen to a guy like that? So now they're not sure. They're kind of in this place where they're simply not sure. But what about you? What about you? Are you sure? Jesus goes to the blind guy after they kicked him out of the church. He goes to this man who can now see and he says to him one question, do you believe? Do you believe? He says, show me this Messiah and I will believe. Jesus says, I'm the dude. The guy says, I believe and he worships. It really is that simple for him. Jesus called him out and he heard his voice and he followed him. So he's called to you today. He's calling you. He may be calling you out from wherever it is you are, from whatever it is you're into, from whoever it is you're connected to, from whatever it is you are used to and whatever it is you know. He may be calling you out of that and saying, follow me. You hear his voice and he's saying, follow me. Maybe he's calling you to understand that you belong to him, to a place where you're not just identifying as Christian, showing up on Sundays and looking like everything is great, but he's calling you to actually belong to him. Maybe he's calling you from that place of belonging to a place of deeper intimacy, to this place where maybe you don't believe that he truly, genuinely loves you. Maybe you've fallen over a cliff or two. Maybe you've gotten stuck in some brambles and some thorns, or maybe you're lost and you're just not sure if he can hear your cries and you're not 100% sure and he's calling you because he's saying, if you just trust me, I care for you. And if you're not Sure, you believe any of those things. He's saying, look what I did. I laid down my life for you. I died for you. I rose for you. I sit at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you. Believe me as you walk into this season of Lent and walk out of this season and you talk about and hear about how I was crucified and how I died on that cross for you, that is the proof that I identify with you, that you belong to me, that I love you and that I care for you. First John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. The psalmist says, come let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture. And then it says, in the day that you hear his voice, harden not your heart. The heart, like anything else that is soft, can be made an impression on. But if our heart is hard, it's pretty impossible to make an impression upon it. Sheep live pretty simple lives. Their lives are 
one constant, constant uh, existence of having the shepherd make an impression upon them that they then live out. And we're called to a life that is that simple. We're called to a life that is not always easy, but it is that simple. Can you today hear his voice and harden not your heart? Let's pray. God, we bless you this morning. We thank you that we can identify ourselves with you, that we know you, that you know us. We thank you, Lord, that there are some who don't know you, but that you are calling them out. And they hear you today, Lord. And my prayer is that they would follow the voice that they hear, that voice that is yours, that voice that says you belong to me, that voice that says I love you and I care for you. Father, we thank you for the sacrifices that you made. We thank you that you protect us from the thief who would steal and kill and destroy. We thank you that we don't have to watch out for wolves. We thank you that that's your job. We thank you, Lord, that when we are lost, you will find us. When we're hungry, you feed us. We thank you, Lord, for your provision for us, for your love for us and your care. And now, Father, I pray for everyone at the other end of my voice who hears you calling, that their heart would remain soft and tender and that they would come to you and find pasture. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.amargodaycommunity.com. Thanks a lot for listening.